Hey, how's everybody doing today? Hotep. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer. We are back. It is Friday, April 4th, 2017. And we are live. Uh, we should be broadcasting on Facebook Live also. So how's everybody doing? We made it through another week. Today is uh, almost day 200. I think it's day 200, somewhere around there, the Donald Trump regime. Uh, <laughs> um, but today, you know, I did a broadcast last night um, for the African History Network show, and we dealt with um, uh, Colin Kaepernick. And um, you have uh, some activists who are calling for economic boycott of the NFL uh, until Colin Kaepernick is signed. So we're going to talk about that some um, right now because the broadcast was interrupted last night. So we'll talk about that some right now. Very interesting. And uh, it's interesting the whole uh, what, what's been developing over the past few days surrounding Colin Kaepernick as well. OK, former San Francisco 49ers uh, quarterback. And, you know, I've talked about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, in the past. Okay. So we're broadcasting on uh, Facebook Live, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. Uh, can everybody hear me on Facebook? Want to make sure everybody can hear me. Okay. And um, we're going to deal with that uh, today. All right. And then also we'll do an overview of uh, an online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. That's, it's a 12-hour, six-week online course that I teach normally on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, we're actually doing a session uh, this evening, 7 p.m. Okay, so you can register for the online course and uh, join us for the class. All right. Okay, so you have... Um, a couple of activists out of uh, Los Angeles, okay? Uh, a couple of activists out of Los Angeles, uh, Naji Ali and Pastor K.W. Tulas, okay? T-U-L-L-O-S-S, -S, okay? Now, Naji Ali is the CEO of Project Islamic Hope, Project Islamic Hope. And Pastor K.W. Tulas uh, is the Western Regional Director of the National Action Network, L.A. Chapter. OK, he's also the pastor of Weller Street Baptist Church. Now, National Action Network is Reverend Al Sharpton's organization. OK, and they're calling for a boycott of the NFL National Football League until Colin Kaepernick, former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, is signed to an NFL team. So Colin Kaepernick. Uh, uh, took uh, uh, left the San Francisco 49ers. He's been looking for another uh, quarterback spot, hasn't found one. You've had people who've come out and said he's purposely being blackballed by the NFL because of his stance against the national anthem. Now, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the past in Colin Kaepernick's protests against police brutality, against the oppression of African Americans. Uh, etc. And he's been doing all this by take by um, first sitting during the national anthem 
at the football games, okay, and then by taking a knee, okay. So this brought a, 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 a brought about a whole lot of um, backlash against him, and people saying he was unpatriotic. You had Donald Trump coming out against him when Donald Trump was running for president. You had Bill O'Reilly. You had uh, people at the games booing him, etc. But a lot of people did not really take the time to really listen to what Colin Kaepernick was saying to understand his protests, number one. Number two, a lot of people have not really researched the history of the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, written September 13th, 1814, during the um, War of 1812 by a white supremacist slave owner named Francis Scott Key. So if we go back and we look at the uh, original article, we're probably this was probably the first article on Colin Kaepernick's uh, protests. Okay, this article was written by Steve Weish, W Y C H E, Steve Weish for uh, NFL.com. Okay, and this was August twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen. This was the day after the second preseason game of the 2016-2017 um, uh, football season. This was during the preseason, okay? And Colin Kaepernick took a knee in this game. He, he sat on the bench in this game, and he did it in the previous game, but it wasn't noticed till th this, th to this particular game, okay? It was on a Friday night. He, they were playing at the San Francisco 49ers. were playing against the Green Bay Packers. This was August 26, 2017, all right? So he was asked at a, at a press conference after the game, he was asked, well, why were you sitting on the bench while, uh, you know, your team was standing up? Uh, for the national anthem. He said, quote, I'm not, he said, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. Okay. He went on to say, to me, this is bigger than football and it's bigger. It, 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 and it would be selfish of me uh, on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Okay. So what he was what he was talking about was he was taking a stand against the national anthem to protest the oppression of African Americans and people of color by uh police, police misconduct, fighting against white supremacy, etc. Okay. Now, um, if you go and look further into the article, uh it, it, he says that uh, this is not something I'm going to run by anybody. I'm not going to. Uh, he said, I'm not looking for approval. I have to stand up for people that are oppressed. If they take football away, my endorsements from me. I know that I stood up for what is right. OK. And um, he said he goes on to say that uh, after months of witnessing some of the civil unrest, in the U.S., uh, uh, he decided to be more active and involved in the rights for black people. Um, and he talks about, you know, fighting for people of color also. OK, so a lot of people ask the question, well, what, what is he protesting against? Things like this. I know Tommy Lauren asked that question when she was interviewed by Trevor Noah. OK, so there were numerous uh, interviews where he talked about this. So you're going to have. Um. 
a lot of people come out against him. And we know that all the owners of the NFL teams, the 33 NFL teams, if I remember correctly, all the owners of the NFL teams are white men, uh, most of them uh, multimillionaires, if not billionaires. A lot of them are white supremacists. OK, so there it, it appears that there is a fear that if Colin Kaepernick gets on the team, then he will uh, um, educate some of the other players on the team. And then you'll have a revolt. If we look at now that now that first article that was from um, NFL.com. OK, and that was by that was the article by Steve Weish from August 27th, 2016. And Steve Weiss was basically the one who broke this story. Okay. That was uh, one year ago, this month, one year ago. Okay. Colin Kaepernick explains why he sat during national anthem. Okay. And then there were other uh, interviews where he explained more. August 31st, 2016, you have a big article from bleacherreport.com, bleacherreport.com, B-L-E-A-C-H-E-R. I'm giving you some background information on this because a lot of people don't really know the nuts and bolts of the background on this okay they hear bits and pieces I, I actually did a presentation september of 2016 dealing with colin kaepernick and his protests okay that was part of a lecture that i did this article from bleacher report called mike freeman's 10 point stance kaepernick anger intense in nfl front offices mike freeman's 10 point stance kaepernick anger intense in nfl front offices so in this article mike freeman who writes for the bleacher report he talked about how now this is a year ago this is this came out august 31st 2016 he talked about how he interviewed the uh executives of seven nfl teams okay and he talked about how these guys had a hatred for Colin Kaepernick. Now, these were all white men. He talked about how they had a hatred for Colin Kaepernick. OK, um, he says all seven estimated 90 to 95 percent of NFL front offices felt the same way they did. OK, uh, let me back up. He said um, across NFL front offices, there are team officials who are not offended and even embrace the controversial position of Colin Kaepernick. They are out there. Statistically, they have to be, but they are keeping a low profile. They seem to be far outnumbered by the members of NFL front offices who despise him, truly, truly hate him. Now, this was a year ago. This was August 31st, 2016. The protest hadn't even intensified yet because you're going to have other players of other teams who join in the protest. It hadn't even intensified yet. Okay? The, I mean, you, the, people really have to understand this. The first article on Colin Kaepernick's protest was August 27th, 2016. Okay? Four days later, Mike Freeman interviews seven heads of the NFL teams, and they talk about how much they hate him because of his protests that they found out about four days before. This is the intense hatred at this a year ago, okay? It's multiplied since then. So people ever have to really understand this. You had, uh, so they said they seem to be far outnumbered by the members of NFL front offices who despise him, truly, truly hate him. 
you have one front office executive who said, quote, I don't want him anywhere near my team. He's a traitor. I don't want him anywhere near my team. He's a traitor. This was four days after Kaepernick's protest was exposed. Now, Mike Friedman goes on to say he wasn't alone in the anger directed towards Colin Kaepernick in interviews with seven team executives in interviews with seven team executives. Each one of them said he didn't want Kaepernick on his team. OK, this is from August 31st, 2016. This is far from scientific, but I believe this is likely the feeling among many front office executives, not all, but many. So Mike Freeman goes on to say. All seven estimated 90 to 95 percent, all seven of the executives of the front offices of these different of these seven NFL teams he interviewed. Right. He said he he said all seven of these executives estimated that 90 to 95 percent of NFL front offices felt the very same way that they did. One executive said he hasn't seen this much collective dislike. OK, among front office members regarding a player since Ray Carruth. And Ray Carruth is still that now, now this was a football player who's still in prison today for plotting to murder his pregnant girlfriend, Ray Carruth. He said now Colin Kaepernick didn't kill anybody. He didn't threaten to kill anybody. He didn't intimate he wanted to kill anybody. He didn't plan to kill anybody. And they have this much hatred for a guy who's protesting against the oppression of African-Americans and people of color by protesting against the national anthem. So what's interesting, and shout out to everybody watching us on Facebook. How are you all doing? Go ahead and post your Facebook comments, okay? Go ahead and post your comments here, all right? And uh, we're broadcasting also on, um, we're broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Hey, everybody watching us on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Okay. We're talking about the NFL boycott um, that has been announced by some activists out of uh, some civil rights activists out of LA uh, protesting against the NFL until Colin Kaepernick is picked up by a team. I'm giving some historical background information on Colin Kaepernick's protest and the backlash against Colin Kaepernick also, because I know a lot of people don't know a lot of this background information. So in this article from August 31st, 2016, one year ago, written by Mike Freeman for BleacherReport.com, Mike Freeman's 10-point stance, 10-point stance, Kaepernick, anger, intense in NFL front offices. Mike Freeman goes on to say, personally, I think the dislike of Kaepernick is inappropriate and un-American. I find it ironic that citizens who live in a country whose existence is based on dissent, sit on based on dissent, criticize someone who expresses dissent. OK, so Kaepernick was expressing his First Amendment rights. Number one, expressing his First Amendment rights. He wasn't calling people names. 
also he said in numerous interviews he said that he was not against the military he was not against the troops or anything like that okay okay he made it clear what he was protesting against all right and he also said now this is something that a lot of the people who gave kaepernick backlash this is something they didn't talk about he also said when the flag represents what it's supposed to represent and represents everybody equally he said something to that effect he said i'll stand up for the flag so instead of people saying well wait a second how can we work with colin kaepernick to fight against white supremacy and racism to fight against oppression and things like this they wanted to suppress the messenger of the suppression they wanted to shut down the messenger of the suppression okay instead of them saying well, wait a second how can we work with him to bring about an end to police misconduct the unarmed killing of the, the unjust killing of african-americans and people of color okay how can we work with him in other organizations to bring about an end to this no they just want to silence him and shut him down okay you have one other team executive who said he has no respect for our country f that guy he has no respect for our country f that guy another team executive said if an owner asked him to sign colin kaepernick he would consider resigning from that team rather than signing rather than signing colin kaepernick okay so you have to really understand what's at play here now it, I, I, it's important to to understand this timeline this article is from <laughs> this article is from august 31st 2016 this was the type of hatred towards colin kaepernick four days into his protests this was this article is not from yesterday this article is from a year ago this was the type of hatred towards kaepernick four days into his protest okay this is from bleacherreport.com now when we look at and everybody, how's everybody doing share this broadcast on your own facebook page invite your friends to tune in also okay now are we still broadcast? Uh, we should be still broadcasting on facebook hope everything's good all right okay can everybody hear me on facebook all right because uh i'm monitoring on my on my smartphone and for some reason the screen is black but maybe that's just my phone okay now so when we look at the civil rights activists out of los angeles who have announced the economic boycott i wanted to give you that background information okay and then i'm going to give you a little history about the star spangled banner also written by francis scott key a white supremacist slave owner as well um naji ali and um naji ali and pastor kw tulas okay have announced uh that they're calling for a boycott of the nfl until um san francisco until former san francisco 49ers quarterback colin kaepernick is signed to an nfl team okay uh protests are also planned outside of gang facilities of the la rams okay and the la chargers uh the uh, protesting their preseason games all right now according to a press release that was sent out and EUR Web uh, picked up this press release. Also, BlackAmericaWeb.com has an article about this as well. 
my smartphone, but I can see your comments, but I'm monitoring on, on um, Facebook on my computer as well. According to the press release, here's what the press release says. Quote, there is no doubt that Kaepernick is being blackballed by NFL owners for exercising his First Amendment right in a nonviolent, peaceful statement. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't threaten to kill anybody. He didn't slap his wife or girlfriend, anything like this. He didn't rape anybody, anything like this. Kaepernick was trying to draw attention to racial profiling, police abuse, and the disproportionate amount of people of color being killed unjustly by law enforcement nationally. Okay? So you would think that a lot of people who are veterans who fought for this country, you would think they would want to fight for this and fight for the equal treatment of people and things like this, right? The press release goes on to say the NFL is a form of modern day plantation. The NFL is a form of the modern day plantation. Most of the players are black and the ownership is all white. They're treating Colin Kaepernick like a runaway slave, making him an example so other players can get the message. Do not get too uppity or we will blackball you. Do not get too uppity or we will blackball you. The parallels are very much like slavery, except the players are. The parallels are very much uh, like slavery, except uh, the players are million dollar slaves under contract who have made billions for the NFL. OK, now, if you look at the uh, article about Richard Sherman's. Richard Sherman, his recent statements, uh, article from uh, uh, NBCSports.com, August 2nd, 2017, just two days ago, a couple of days ago. Richard Sherman said basically that uh, he said it's not about football or color. It's about, quote, boy, stay in your place. Boy, stay in your place. Richard Sherman said not a lot of guys are willing to step out there. So the guys so the guys not speaking up for him, referring to the football players not speaking up for him. So the guys not speaking up for him are doing him a disservice. There should be a lot more guys uh, saying uh, something. Most guys are like, I don't want my job to end up. I don't want my job to end up the same way. OK, which falls in line with what I've, I've been saying all along. They the, you have a lot of players who are afraid that they're going to be sidelined. They're going to be blackballed, et cetera. OK, so you, you, you have a lot who are not stepping up and you have um, uh, um, team owners who are sending messages to them that you're going to be punished if you protest like Colin Kaepernick, right? Now, my thing would be, well, wait a second. The NFL is like 70, 80% African-American. Wouldn't you want the, and a lot of these stadiums are like in, you know, inner cities, things like this. Wouldn't you want uh, the police to stop the unjust killing of African-Americans? Wouldn't that make your city better? Wouldn't that make Baltimore better? Wouldn't that make Cleveland better? Wouldn't that make Detroit better? 
You, you know, now what's interesting is that if you look at the NBA, right? With the NBA, they moved in 2016, the NBA moved the All-Star game from North Carolina to another state, protesting against the North Carolina transgender bathroom bill. When has the NFL moved a game because police were killing too many African-Americans in the city? Did they move any games from Cleveland because Tamir Rice was shot and killed, executed by the police, or because John Crawford III in Ohio was shot and killed by the police in the Walmart where he picked up a rifle, an air rifle off the shelf in an open carry state? Ohio is an open carry state, which means it was legal for him to, even if it was a real rifle, it was legal for him to have that rifle in that store because it's an open carry state. Did they move any games in? Did they move any games when Eric Garner was killed or, or when Sandra Bland was killed? But the NBA will move the All-Star game over a bill impairing impeding the right of transgendered people to use the toilet of their choice and a lot and 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 a lot of people who are transgender if they don't say anything you won't even know it there's nobody standing at the bathroom door patting them down anything like that a lot of them if they don't say anything you won't even know they're transgender so what's the big deal so when we look at this press release and once again, how's everybody doing on Facebook? We'll come to your comments in just a minute here. Okay. Uh, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Okay. Share this broadcast uh, on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Okay. All right. So when we look at this uh, press release, everybody's doing all right. Okay. So the press release goes on to say, African-Americans, Latinos, and anyone who believes in social justice should boycott all things NFL. African-Americans, Latinos, and anyone, anyone who believes in social justice should boycott all things NFL. So all the white people who are out protesting with Black Lives Matter, you should protest against the NFL also. Okay? All the Bernie Sanders uh, support all the white Bernie Sanders supporters talking about you want equality and all this stuff. Okay, you should protest against the NFL for them blackballing uh, Colin Kaepernick. All the white women who date black men, you should protest against the NFL for uh, blackballing Colin Kaepernick. All the white men who date black women, you should protest against the NFL for blackballing Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick stood up for all people of color. When he didn't have to and could lose me. In danger, he had he has led his team to a Super Bowl appearance and has enough money and fame to deal with the police if he had to. It's it's African-Americans and Latinos who continue to be in danger. It's African-Americans and Latinos who continue to be in danger of being unjustly killed by police. It's our sons and daughters. Kaepernick realized uh, that and took a knee for us 
and use his platform to highlight those facts nationally. Use that platform to highlight those facts nationally. Okay. All right. So Portia said Bernie Sanders is real talk. Talk. Bernie, Bernie has some good points. I didn't just find out about Bernie Sanders in 2015 when he ran for president. I've known about Bernie Sanders for years. You know, so, you know, some of his policies, they make a whole lot of sense when it came to uh, how you pay for them. But, you know, Bernie Sanders, I think Bernie's a good guy. He just um, he had a pro he had an African-American woman problem. But, you know, I think the root dot com had an article about that. But Bernie Bernie's a good guy. Um, So the article goes on to say in the press release. Now it's our turn to stand on his behalf, on Colin Kaepernick's behalf. Now it's our turn to stand on Colin Kaepernick's behalf. The NFL could care less about players' First Amendment rights, social justice, human rights, or the fact that African-Americans and Latinos continue to be killed by police nationwide. Kaepernick's teammates voted him most inspirational, the Lynn Eshmont Award, demonstrating what his teammates thought of his stance and character. Uh, and this is what Najee Ali, uh, who's the CEO of Project Islamic Hope, said. OK. Uh, and this was in their press release. It goes on to say uh, Reverend K.W. Tulas, Western Regional Director of the National Action Network, L.A. chapter. Said the National Action Network stands in support of Kaepernick and will lead a statewide boycott of the NFL, along with encouraging others not to attend an L.A. Rams, L.A. Chargers or Oakland Wait or Oakland Raiders game until Colin Kaepernick is signed to an NFL team. Now, the two uh, civil rights activists say the coalition's first NFL preseason protests will uh, be Saturday, August 12th, Saturday, August 12th uh, at 3 p.m. at 39th and Figueroa. Uh, street outside of the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, where the L.A. Rams will play their home schedule during the 2017 uh, NFL season. OK, during the 2017 NFL season. So they're going to start August 12th. All right. And um, those, you know, around the country, people can join in in the protest. You can tweet about it. You can post on social media about it. Don't watch the games. Don't buy any paraphernalia. Don't buy any jerseys. Uh, uh, anything like don't, don't buy any of the jerseys, don't buy any, any NFL merchandise, unless I would say probably, unless it's Colin Kaepernick NFL merchandise. Other than that, don't even buy that. But the next step, the next step would be for organizations. And I think colorchange.org may be involved in something like this. The next step is to go after the advertisers who advertise during the NFL games. Go after the advertisers. Go after the corporations. When you when you see a stadium um, and it has the name of a corporation, like state the Staples Center or something like that, corporations pay that team millions of dollars each year for branding to have their name put on that stadium. Okay, so the next the next step would be to do like they did. If you look at Bill O'Reilly, right, who hosted the O'Reilly Factor. On Fox News. The reason why Bill O'Reilly is off the air is not because Fox News came to a realization that sex sexual harassment was wrong. 
is not because they had a moral epiphany is because 80 advertisers pulled their ads from his TV show, the O'Reilly factor. And the show was no longer profitable. And there was so much pressure on them that they fired. Him, okay. Well, who put the pressure on them? Organizations like colorofchange.org. Color of change. And color of change was at the forefront of contacting advertisers. Number one, they collected about 350,000 uh, signatures on an online petition. Okay. Um, and um, also they contacted advertisers and put pressure on advertisers to uh, withdraw economic support from the O'Reilly Factor TV show. If you look at the article from Huffington Post Black Voices, this black org, O-R-G, helped oust Bill O'Reilly's, uh, helped oust Bill O'Reilly by hitting Fox where it hurts. This black org helped oust Bill O'Reilly by hitting Fox where it hurts. Okay. So this article from Huffington Post Black Voices, and we'll post a link here on the thread of the uh, broadcast here on Facebook. This is about the involvement of colorofchange.org in the protests against Bill O'Reilly. Now, Color Change had a protest against Bill O'Reilly show the O'Reilly factor for two years. Their protest did not start when the New York Times article came out uh, a few weeks before Bill O'Reilly was fired. Their, their protest started two years about this in the article their protest picked up steam when bill o'reilly went after auntie maxine maxine waters and he said that her hair looked like a, a james brown wig and he couldn't hear anything she was saying their protest picked up then then when the uh bombshell article from the new york times came out and talked about how fox news and bill o'reilly had paid 13 million dollars to i think it was five women five different women to settle sexual harassment lawsuits, then the the uh, support exploded. Okay, and you know what happened? Rest uh, uh, eighty, approximately eighty advertisers pulled advertising dollars from the number one, the top rated cable news show in the country, and he had the number one uh, rated cable news show for about fifteen years. And he got fired. But this is read this article. This is what happens when organizations are backed by people. It happened in 1955 or 1956 or 1963 or this is an example of economic withdrawal strategies. All right. So, um, and very quickly here, when you look at how's everybody doing, I know people are tuning in at different times. Um, Excel clan said time to buy black uh, window said better leave my sister, auntie Maxine alone. <laughs> um, Riri said, I'm looking into developing my own football leagues and basketball and other professional sports leagues. 
uh Portia said uh but she is reclaiming her time oh yeah she's uh uh Maxine Wallace is very very popular Maxine Wallace is very very popular all right for those just uh joining us hey I'm Michael M Hotep founder of the African History Network host of the African History Network show I'm a talk show host researcher lecturer and writer uh we're talking about the um protest the uh protest and economic boycott that has been uh announced by um activists out of la naji ali of uh project islamic hope and pastor kw tulas of uh the national action network la chapter and uh, he's also pastor of weller street baptist church and uh their economic boycott of the nfl is going to start uh august 12th okay august saturday august 12th at the uh preseason game all right and this is something people can do uh across the country uh i know their petitions i have to check colorchange.org see if they have a petition i wouldn't be surprised if they do okay um also yeah we just posted a link here uh about our online class our online course that i teach ancient kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. It's a 12-hour, six-week online course that I teach. We normally do it on Fridays, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, we're doing one today. Uh, we're doing another installment today. And we do a thousands of years of history. Uh, as soon as you register, you can watch the first four sessions and then we also have 12 hours of bonus content also uh for you to watch so you can re post the link there so register here if you need me to post it again let me know uh we'll post that because i'm going to do a quick overview of that um for you as well the course is only 40 dollars um you can watch it over and over again so if you miss anything you can go back and watch it over and over again so we deal with a lot of information uh, and some of the some of the stuff we talk about here, we deal with in the course. So Kaepernick was protesting against the national anthem, right? Against the he was protesting against the national anthem. A lot of people don't know the history of the national anthem. So the national anthem was written by Francis Scott Key, okay, who was an attorney, and um, he was a slave owner. All right, and he came from a slave owning family. Francis Scott Key. Um, this is during, he wrote it September 13th, 1814, during the War of 1812. And it was originally, it was originally a poem called uh, The Defense of Fort McHenry. Okay. Uh, the Defense of Fort McHenry. And he wrote it after witnessing an, an attack on Fort McHenry during the war of 1812 so the u.s once again is fighting against great britain and it's going to it was originally a poem and then it's going to be uh uh music is going to be added to it later that year and it's going to be called um the star spangled banner okay is not until 1931 that it actually becomes the national anthem it's not until 1931 that it actually becomes the national anthem, okay? So you had some people who said, well, it's the third stanza of the Star Spangled Banner that's really the problem, okay? Where um, 
in the in the third stanza they talk about uh, no rep um no refuge could save the hireling and slave okay there uh um and where is that band who so vauntingly vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battles confusion a home and a country should leave us no more their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution no refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave and the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave okay well you have to understand that during the american revolutionary i'm sorry during the war of 1812 the u.s was still enslaving african people while they're fighting against great britain once again for their freedom and you're going to have about 6,000 enslaved Africans who go over to the British side and fight, and they're going to fight for the British, okay, against the U.S. You're going to have a group of them called the Colonial Marines. And at the end of the War of 1812, uh, the U.S. demanded that Great Britain return back to them the 6,000 approximately runaway slaves. Great Britain refused to do this. But when you look at Francis Scott Key, this was a white supremacist racist who felt that African people were mentally inferior, who profited off of the slave trade. If you look at the article from uh, smithsonian.com, which is the official website of the Smithsonian Institute, name of this article is where's the debate on Francis Scott Key's slave holding legacy? Where's the debate on Francis Scott Key's slave holding legacy? During his lifetime, abolitionists ridiculed Francis Scott Key's words, sneering that America was more like the land of the free and home of the oppressed. Well, Colin Kaepernick was standing up against the oppression of people of color. And he saw the national anthem as a symbol of that. So if you look at this article, it says in 1814, Francis Scott Key was a slaveholding lawyer from an old Maryland plantation family who, thanks to a system of human bondage, had grown rich and powerful. When he wrote the poem that would in 1931 become the national anthem, because it did not become the national anthem till 1931, okay, and proclaim our nation, quote, the land of the free, end quote, like Thomas Jefferson, Francis Scott Key not only profited from slaves, he harbored racist conceptions of American citizenship and human potential. Africans in America. He said, Francis Scott Key said, well, quote, a distinct and inferior race of people, which all experience proves to be the greatest evil that afflicts a community. End quote. This is what Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner, said. He said in referring to Africans in America and African people are the original Americans. I will deal with this shortly because I'll, I'll give you an overview of the online course that I teach where we deal with this type of information. This is why and, and, and this this go around of the class is actually seven weeks because I put in an additional week. OK, it's actually so you is actually seven weeks. All right. 
This is some of the type of information we deal with here. This is why, see, the third stanza was taken out of the, when, when they seen the Star Spangled Banner like at games and things like this, they don't seen the third stanza. My contention is not the third stanza is the problem. It's the entire song is the problem. It's, it's a white supremacist song. So personally, I think you need a new national anthem that reflects the whole of America as opposed to just white supremacy. I think you need a new national anthem, okay? Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner in referring to Africans in America, African-Americans and African people are the original Americans. We were here before Native Americans came into existence. I'll get to that in a minute. He said, they are a distinct and inferior race of people, which all experience proves to be the greatest evil that afflicts a community. Okay. Now, a few weeks after British troops in the War of 1812 stunned and demoralized America by attacking Washington and setting the Capitol building and the White House ablaze on August 24, 1814, the British turn their attention to the vital seaport of Baltimore. See, a lot of people don't know that it's not, these were the colonial Marines who are going to attack. And, and his troops, Francis Scott Key's, uh, his troops were attacked about three weeks uh, before the attack on Fort McHenry. Okay, see, a lot of people don't know that the White House was set on fire during the War of 1812. The, the U.S. Capitol building and the White House were set on fire by the British. All right. This is not the American Revolutionary War. This is the War of 1812. OK, now on September 13th, 1814, British warships commenced an attack on Fort McHenry, which protected the city's harbor for 25 hours. Bombs and rockets rained down on the fort while Americans still wondering whether their newfound freedom would really be short lived awaited news of Baltimore's fate. Francis Scott Key was stuck aboard a British ship where he had been negotiating the release of a prisoner and barred by the officers of the HMS uh, Tonnant, T-O-N-N-A-N-T, from leaving. He was barred from leaving the ship. He was there trying to negotiate the release of a prisoner. OK, he could only watch the battle and hope for the best. So it's going to be the next morning after this battle. He writes the poem, The Defense of Fort McHenry. And there was a flag that was waving. And this is what he talks about when he, he, he talks about the Star Spangled Banner. OK, by the dawn's early light of the next day, Francis Scott Key saw the huge garrison flag now on view at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History waving above Fort McHenry. And he realized that the Americans had survived the battle and stopped the enemy advance. The poem he wrote celebrated the Star Spangled Banner as a symbol of the resilience and triumph of the United States. Ironically, Francis Scott Key was composing the line uh, or the land of the free, quote unquote, it is likely that black slaves were trying to reach British ships in Baltimore Harbor. They knew that they were far more likely to find freedom and liberty under the Union Jack. Then they were under the Star Spangled Banner, under the British flag. OK, because the British said, if you once again, the British said, if you come fight for us, we'll set you free. 
just like the British did during the American Revolutionary War. So um, on BET, they had a miniseries called uh, The Book of Negroes. OK, and this is what this was about. This is about those uh, uh, Negro loyalists to the British. Because the British were the first to say, if you come if you come fight for us, we'll set you free after this war is over. OK. All right. So we see the response from Richard Sherman. We see uh, you saw uh, Shannon Sharp and, and uh, Ray uh, Lewis got into it earlier this week. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, in an article from TotalProSports.com uh, on August 3rd, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, asked the question, where's the support from the white players in the NFL? Where's the support from the white players? OK, on Tuesday, N NBA, le NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar published published an article on The Hollywood Reporter on their website. It not only called for Colin Kaepernick to keep protesting against police brutality and racial inequality, but it was also a call on fellow NFL players to stand with him as well. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, said Americans have a favorite quote to demonstrate their dedication to free speech i disapprove of what you say but i will defend uh to the death your right to say it i disapprove of what you say but what i will defend to the death of your right to say it for this to be more uh than lip service nfl superstars must defend athletes like colin kaepernick through boycotts of other means uh through boycotts or other means of persuasion. Now it's interesting how you have football players who will support the military and support the troops, things like this, even though they may not agree with the mission, but don't support Colin Kaepernick expressing his first amendment right. And he's trying to save lives and he's fighting against the oppression of people of color. It's interesting how you had uh military personnel who came out against colin kaepernick and they actually fought for his right to be able to do what he did they actually fought for his first amendment right you can post your comments here on facebook we'll come to them in a few minutes here how's everybody doing hey this is michael m hotel founder of the african history network host of the african history network show I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. You see me in the documentary Black Friday with Legacy When You Leave. You see me in Resurrecting Black Wall Street, The Blueprint. Um, actually, Elementary Genocide Part 3 comes out uh, August 22nd. It comes out this month. I'm in that documentary from director Raheem Shabazz. And then uh, Black Friday, The uh, African Global Legacy, uh, that comes out October 13th from director Rick Mathis. I'm in that film also. OK, we just posted the link here. So how do you all like this type of information? How's everybody doing today? Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Now, there were some other NFL players who joined in last season. Don't know what they're going to do this season because this season hasn't started yet. Right. Don't know what they're going to do this season. There were some. Now, Colin Kaepernick has suspended his national anthem protest. And he already said that he suspended his national anthem protest. OK. And, you know. That's understandable. His activism has still continued, though. 
his activism has still continued. We know he donated, um, he, he was part of a group that donated $60,000 to take supplies to Somalia. We know he donated uh, his sneaker collection or at least part of his sneaker connection collection to uh, like the homeless. We know he donated a number of suits to uh, uh, men who were trying to, uh, who needed suits so they can apply for jobs, you know, get jobs, things like this. Uh, we know his activism has continued. Okay. And, and, and that's admirable. But, but um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is asking the question, well, where are the, the white players in the NFL? They need to support this also. Okay. Jovan on Facebook said people tend not to realize that the NFL is simply another gigantic corporate institution. They hold it as a symbol of what, what, of whatever, why. Okay. Um, and you have, uh, you have players who really want to do something right. But some of them are afraid. They're afraid of backlash. They're afraid of what happened because all, all the players in the NFL are not as I hope Colin Kaepernick is financially secure. All of them don't make Colin Kaepernick money. Okay. Let's just be clear. All right. All of them don't have endorsements. All of them don't make Colin Kaepernick money. Okay. Or what he used to make. Um, but the people need to support the players. Okay. Where is our African national anthem? Somebody said the black national anthem is lift every voice and sing. We need to come up with a new one. Cause if you actually read the words to lift every voice and sing, that was actually a gospel hymn. You actually read the words to lift every voice and sing is, um, we need a new one for 2017. Let me say it like that. Uh, Wendell said, brother Kareem has a point. Uh, Gregory said Colin Kaepernick was not disruptive. He didn't interfere with the game. He wasn't loud or confrontational. He quietly refused to acknowledge the white supremacist national anthem, which is true. And that's his right also. That's what people have to understand. That, that was his right. It's what he was exercising his First Amendment right. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to this article about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but I want people to understand when you deal with the national anthem being performed at the NFL games and um, specifically NFL players standing up for it. Right. That change that only went into effect a few years ago. Okay. The reason why is, is because the department of defense pays millions of dollars to sports teams, including teams in the NFL for patriotic displays. OK, now this information came out in November 2015. Washington Post had a report on this November 4th, 2015, Washington Post. At least 50 teams were paid by Department of Defense for patriotic displays. At least 50 teams were paid by Department of Defense for patriotic display. Colin Kaepernick's protests, OK? Uh, and AtlantaBlackStar.com had an article about this also from September 19th, 2016, last year after Colin Kaepernick's protests started. Defense Department paid sports teams $53 million of taxpayer dollars to play anthem stage over the top military tributes. OK, so if we look very quickly at the article from the Washington Post. A lot of people don't understand the connection here. Um, 
it says a, a government oversight report released Wednesday by Senators John McCain and Senator Jeff Flake offers new details about how the Department of Defense paid professional sports teams and leagues, sports leagues, for patriotic displays honoring American soldiers, honoring American soldiers. The report expands on one that uh, became public last May, which would be May of 2014. And I'm sorry, uh, last May, it would be May of 2015. I'm sorry, the previous May, May of 2015 and resulting in changes to the National Defense Authorization Act for 2016, NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, look that up, prohibiting the expenditures and calling on leagues and teams to donate the money to organizations that support the military, veterans, and their families, prohibiting the expenditures and calling on leagues and teams to donate the money to organizations that support the military veterans and their families. Okay. Um, Senator John McCain uh, and, and Jeff Flake uh, said what we take issue with, uh, well, Jeff Flake said what we take issue with is a Republic uh, uh, is the average fan thinking teams are doing this on behalf of the military and they're not teams are being paid to do this. Teams are being paid to do this sport at, at, at sports events. A lot of them are being paid to do this. NASCAR was the biggest recipient getting one point five million dollars for fiscal year 2015. NASCAR was the biggest recipient getting one point five million dollars for fiscal year 2015. OK, if we look at um, the NFL, um, uh, the report goes on to say at the time, uh, both the Department of Defense and the NFL downplayed our assessment, characterizing it as an unfounded and inaccurate portrayal of the contracts. The report states a National Guard spokesman in particular assured American taxpayers that the contracts were for legitimate advertising activities that support recruiting efforts. And the NFL said our legislation uh, painted a completely distorted picture of the relationship between NFL teams and our military. Okay. So they go on to talk about some of the money that the, the, some of the money the teams get. Okay. So this was a 145 page report. The 145 page report cites contributions to 18 NFL teams, 10 major league baseball teams, eight NBA teams, six national hockey league teams, eight soccer teams, as well as NASCAR, Iron Dog, and Indiana and the Indiana. Okay, they, 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 all these teams were getting paid by the Department of Defense to have patriotic displays that included the national anthem. Okay, this is a, a 145 page report that came out in 2015 that exposed all of this. Okay, now this is not from Infowars.com. OK, I just want people to understand this. this is Washington Post. All right. And I dealt with this in, in the presentation I did September 2016. OK. Um, and, you, you know, all of my DVD lectures are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can uh, order my DVDs there if you want to. Uh, that presentation was called um, The Time We Have Been Waiting For Is Now. The Time We Have Been Waiting For Is Now. Um, Colin Kaepernick, the National Anthem uh the black bank movement 
in too many slave movies, too many slave movies. The time we have been waiting for is now. And one of the things I talked about was how when you had these in 2016, when you had a lot of different occurrences took, that took place, historical information came out that dispelled lies. OK, so I think it was July of 2016 when the Democratic National Committee had their uh, uh, national conference, the Democratic National uh, Convention and Michelle Obama spoke. She gave an address and she talked about uh, waking up in a house built by slaves. Well, that night, social media went crazy because you had white people on social media saying that the White House was not built by slaves. So then this caused a whole lot of articles to be written talking about how slave labor helped build the White House and the bulk of the labor that not just built the White House, but the U.S. Capitol building and other buildings in Washington, D.C. were built by free African-American labor, the African-Americans who were free and enslaved African people. Because we were the ones with the skills. We were the ones who were the craftsmen. We were the ones who were masters of the trades. And not only that, but the White House Historical Associations on their website, the White House Historical Association on their website, they have a page dedicated to did slaves build the White House and they break it down. Not only that, the Atlantic.com had an article about Abigail Adams, who was the wife of John Adams, the second president, and he was the first president to live in the White House in Washington, D.C., because the first White House was in Philadelphia, because that's where the Capitol was at first in Philadelphia. Then the Capitol was going to be moved to Washington, D.C. So the first president under the U.S. Constitution, not the Continental, not the Continental Congress or the Articles of the Confederation, but under the U.S. Constitution, the first president, George Washington, did not live at the White House in Washington, D.C., OK. Abigail Adams, the wife of John Adams, the second president, talked about how uh, she witnessed uh, enslaved Africans uh, who were building the White House and how they were underfed and how they were poorly clothed and mistreated, things like this. She talked about this. OK. You even had Bill O'Reilly on the O'Reilly Factor who came out inside of the White House Historical Association and talked about how slave labor, slave labor helped build the White House. So you had all these truths coming out, shutting down the lies. OK. All right. So Benjamin Banneker was the surveyor and he did the he did the blueprint. He did the blueprint from from memory. He had a photographic memory. And the layout of Washington, D.C. is based upon uh, ancient African principles. Also, the layout of Washington, D.C., is based upon ancient African principles. The layout of Washington, D.C. is based upon ancient African principles. And if you read um, if you read the book, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. Tony Browder, who lives in the Washington, D.C. area, and I've interviewed Browder six times. This is one of the books we use in the online course also. Browder deals with how the layout of Washington, D.C. is based upon ancient African principles. And how it's basically a copy of the layout of ancient Egypt. Okay, the layout of Washington, DC. Okay. Um, so these, you know, these are some of the things that, that we deal with in, in the course. You don't have to buy any of these books or anything like that to follow along in the course, but we we use it for reference. All right. 
Um, so, okay, how's everybody doing? Um, so once again, for those just tuning in, hey, I'm Michael Limhotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. Uh, you've maybe seen some of my broadcasts here. I'm the creator of and owner of the, uh, the Facebook fan page here, the African History Network. Um, so you'll see my posts and my videos here, things like this. And I also teach an online course called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. Okay. How do you all like this type of information? How do you all like this type of information? Okay. We have uh, Douglas. Douglas said, but look back at how proud people in the country used to be and work together to make it happen. Those lessons have been lost. What period of time are you talking about, Douglas? Because if you're talking about during the civil rights movement, only about 10 percent of African-Americans were involved in the civil rights movement, actively involved. Uh, Carol said Muhammad Ali spoke out about the injustices in this country on his job. Uh, so did Paul Robeson. So did Paul Robeson, who was blackballed uh, as well. There is never a wrong time uh, to speak uh, up about injustice. OK. All right. So we have the um, information here. Let me see. Post it again. We have the. OK. Did I. OK. Here's the article from The Washington Post. I'm not sure if I gave that to you that gave you that link um, article from The Washington Post um, entitled at least 50 teams were paid by Department of Defense for patriotic displays. At least 50 teams were paid by Department of Defense for patriotic displays. So I posted that link there for you. OK. And um, in the in the article, once again, it said the 145 page report cites contributions to 18 NFL teams from the Department of Defense, 18 NFL teams, 10 Major League Baseball teams, eight National Basketball Association teams, NBA, six National Hockey League teams, eight soccer teams, as well as NASCAR, Iron Dog and the Indiana University and Purdue University. The Atlanta Falcons, for instance, were the top recipients getting $879,000 over the course of four years. Over the same period of time, for instance, course of four years, the New England Patriots received $700,000 and the Buffalo Bills received $650,000. So a lot of times you see these patriotic displays at the games and people are thinking, oh, they, they, they love America. And, and, and people stand up and, and, and sing the national anthem and put their hand over their heart or uh, they, they, they may do a pledge of allegiance, which was created by a white minister in 1892 named Francis Bellamy, who wanted uh, a group of uh, school children to recite his Pledge of Allegiance that he created at a 400th anniversary commemoration of Columbus, Columbus so-called discovering the new world. So we know that Columbus lands in uh, today what we call the Bahamas, October 12, 1492. He set sail on the Nina Nepenta and Santa Maria, August 3rd, 1492, right? And uh, 1892 was the 400th year anniversary of Columbus so-called discovering the new world when he goes into Puerto Rico, Honduras, Panama, Cuba, Haiti, Jamaica, places like this, right? And he wants, Francis Bellamy wants these school children to recite his Pledge of Allegiance. And in the Pledge of Allegiance, you start out with your hand over your heart originally, and then at a certain point, your hand, it, your arm extends at a 45 degree angle. 
But this is going to be changed during World War II because the salute that you did with your arm at a 45 de degree angle looked very similar to a Nazi salute. So they're going to change it because of the Nazis in World War II and you keep your hand over your heart during the whole time. But as Jackie Robinson said in his autobiography in 1972, Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball in 1947 with the Brooklyn Dodgers and who served in World War II, served in the Army, served in World War II. Jackie Robinson said in his autobiography, I never had it made. He said that he could not he could neither stand for the national anthem or salute the flag anymore. OK. And he, he basically talked about the racism of America, things like this. This is Jackie Robinson, who white people loved in, in, in hit after they, you know, call him on top of N-words that first year, you know, after after all that, you know, and wish he died and, you know, call him on top of names, threw stuff at him when he was on the on the field. You know, <laughs> Jackie Robinson said that he could not stand for the national anthem. He could not salute the flag. And he fought in the he, he served in the military. He talks about this in his 1972 autobiography. I never had it made. OK. All right. Um, so how's everybody doing? Hey, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer and writer. Hey, this is the type of information we deal with here. How you all like this type of information? This is the type of information we deal with in our online class. Also, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So I'll be doing a uh, another session of that online course uh, this evening. Shortly, we normally do it 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Fridays, um, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fridays. This is some of the type of information we deal with. We deal with thousands of years of history and we deal with history pretty much chronologically leading up to the transatlantic slave trade. OK, uh, when I approach the transatlantic slave trade, I deal with it differently than some people. I don't deal with it episodically. I don't deal with it as an episode in history. We, we, we have to deal with it chronologically. The transatlantic slave trade did not start. Uh, it, it did not. Um, start as an isolated event it was the culmination of a sequence of historical events that lead up to a particular event happening okay and anytime if you see any of my presentations online you see me speak anything like that right anytime i talk you know i i, I talk about how you don't have to believe a word that i say go do your own research proper documentation ends all conversation and i usually uh talk about how um um information I may share with you may be outside the circumference of your own awareness just because you never heard it before does not mean it's not true it just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about okay um, some of the things we deal with in the um, course we deal with what was the transatlantic slave trade what were some of the events leading to the transatlantic slave trade happening we deal with the 800 year occupation of Africa by uh, of, of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors this is some crucial information right here. This is Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. We have the information here on the thread of the broadcast. So you can register for the online course if you want to. Um, it's a 12 hour, six week online course. This session is going to be seven weeks. And we also have about 20 hours of about 12 hours of bonus content. Um, 
Uh, the course is only $40. You can watch it over and over again. Go back and watch the sessions over and over again if you miss anything. As soon as you register, you can watch the first uh, four sessions, okay? Dr. David M. Hotep wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. And he deals with the African presence in this country that we call the United States of America going back at least at least 51,700 years. This is why it's so important. So when you hear me, you hear radio interviews I do, you hear my shows. Uh, I just interviewed Professor Kaba Kamene, uh, formerly known as Booker T. Coleman. You see him in the Hidden Colors documentaries. Uh, I just interviewed him two weeks ago. He's one of my teachers. He talked about the African presence in this country also. African people were in this land we call the United States of America before Native Americans came into existence. This is why... I have a problem with what I call the 1619 myth. This is why I have a problem with a lot of the slave movies. I have a problem with a lot of the slave TV shows, things like this, because they mistakenly uh, teach our people that our history started in this country, August 20th, 1619, which is not true. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened. Yes, August 20th, 1619 happened. But African people were here in this land for tens of thousands of years before the transatlantic slave trade happened. OK, so and we were here before Native Americans came into existence also. So if you look at page 14 of his book, OK, page 14 of his book, he deals with um, evidence um, found by Dr. Albert Goodyear in Allendale County, South Carolina in 2004, 2004, 13 years ago, which document documents an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. Here's what they found. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints and lava, genetic, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics. They found linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools, okay? They found all this evidence thoroughly documenting an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago, at least 51,700 years ago, okay? Now, this is before Native Americans even come into existence. This is what people have to understand. This is why, you know, because in the course, I deal with the TV show Underground. I deal with the problem with slave movies, things like this. And um, I'm not against a movie about slavery, but these movies are to the the deletion and to the detriment of tens of thousands of years of African history in this country that predated them. And they perpetuate a 1619 myth that conditions our people to think that we are guests in this land and that our history started in this in this land conquered by Europeans shackled in chains. And that's not true. This was our land stolen from us. We were here before Native Americans came into existence. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened, but it didn't happen exactly the way we've been taught that it happened. Now, if you look at this article from 2004 from ScienceDaily.com, this is about Dr. Albert Goodyear's discovery. It's called New Evidence Puts Man in North America 50,000 Years Ago. Because one of the things that we do in the online course that I teach is we deal with archaeological discoveries because you have to deal with these things chronologically, okay? And we deal with recent archeological discoveries like the ones that happened in June of 2017, the one that, the one that happened in uh, April 26, 2017, about the mastodon skeleton, which is a prehistoric animal, a precursor to the elephant, 
a mastodon skeleton found in San Diego that paleontologists are saying dated back that dates date back at least 130,000 years ago. And they're saying that this mastodon skeleton was taken apart with stone tools by humans, which would then put a human presence in North America at least 130,000 years ago, which is over 100,000 years before modern archaeology tells us that humans were here in, in North America because the, the oldest uh, human site that modern archaeology cites is the Clovis culture uh, that dates back about 13,000 years ago in New Mexico. Well, if you have evidence of a human presence in North America at least 130,000 years ago, that blows the Clovis, Clovis culture off the water, which is what Dr. David Imhotep has been saying. It's also what Dr. Albert Goodyear has been saying. So the question has to be asked, well, who were these people? Who were these people? Because we already know that African people were all over all over the planet. We, we, we You know, we go around all over the planet. We know the Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet who come from Southern Africa and the Khoisan are the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa because the Khoisan were here in this land. And, and Dr. David M. Hotep deals with this in his book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. This is one of the books we use in the course. You don't have to buy any of these books to be able to follow along in the course, anything like this, but I use this for reference to document what I'm talking about. Okay. And you can, and, and also we have a recommended reading list of books and our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a recommended reading list of books there. So you can check that out and get them as you can. We don't, I don't sell books, but uh, get them from an African-American book dealer, get them from Amazon.com, things like this. Check with African-American book dealer first, okay? Uh, and then, you know, check Amazon if you can't get them there, all right? Um, so how do you all like this type of information? How do you all like this type of information? This is the type of information we deal with in our deal with in our online class, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Kemet is one of the original names for what we call Egypt. Egypt is an Arabic word of Greek derivation. Okay. And Ma'afa is a Kiswahili term, which means the great disaster, which refers to the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So we have the uh, information pinned there. If you need me to post a link again so you can register for the course, let me know. I'll post it again. Okay. If you need, need me to post a link again. All right. Now, if we look at this article from, uh, and we teach the classes on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, we have a class starting up here shortly. Okay. And once you register, you'll be able to join us for the class. Um, if we look at this article here from um, ScienceDaily.com, ScienceDaily.com, this is from 13 years ago. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. Okay. Can you all still see and hear me on Facebook? Radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County, 
um, in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archaeologist Dr. Albert Goodyear indicates that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. Okay. So this totally blows uh, a lot of the information that we've been taught. This totally blows a lot of that out the water. Okay. And um, month after month after month, there's new, okay. Y'all can hear me and see me. Okay, good. Month after month, month after month after month, there's new archaeological information coming out, verifying, uh, you know, uh, talking about an uh, African presence in places long before we were taught that they were there. In June of 2017, you had the discovery that came out of um, Morocco. You had the discovery that came out of Morocco of um they found skeletons of homo sapiens which are modern man skeletons of homo sapiens that date back 300,000 to 350,000 years ago 300,000 to 350,000 years ago okay now this the oldest human fossils of modern man that they had were date back 195,000 years ago in Ethiopia, okay. Now, this is a modern man, Homo sapien. This is not Lucy, which was Australopithecus afarensis, which is an early form of humans that dates back 3.2 million years ago. Okay, this is not that. Um, so the discovery in Morocco totally blows the discovery in Ethiopia out the water. So the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets. The older, the, the deeper they dig, the, the, the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. Okay. The deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. And these archaeological discoveries are coming out all the time. Okay. This is why it's important to so we deal with these type of archaeological discoveries in the class so we can better understand history. All right. So, you know, we deal with a chronology of history. We deal with the 800-year uh, occupation by Europe by the Africans known as the Moors who lose control of their last stronghold in uh, Spain, January 2nd, 1492. But the Moors are going to introduce uh, into Europe. They introduce cotton, alcohol, sugar, tobacco. They're going to introduce soap. They introduce spherical globes, almanacs, uh, something called alchemy, which today we call chemistry. And they're going to introduce teachings They're taking teachings coming from ancient Kemet, from ancient Egypt into Europe. And they're going to introduce teachings that are going to become the foundation of European secret societies like the Knights Templar created in the second during the Second Crusades, 1118 A.D., the Rosicrucias, the Freemasons. The teachings that the Moors take into Europe are going to form the foundation of these secret societies, their information. Also, the first university. In, in in Europe, University of Salamanca in Spain, built in 12, 1285 A.D. by African Moors and Arabs. A lot of your early universities in Europe, University of Toledo, University of Bologna, University of Barcelona, things like this. They're going to be created to study the teachings that the Moors take into Europe. 
okay so we deal with information like this uh we talk about freemasonry some we deal with some of the origins of um christianity also that that takes elements from the periphery of african spiritual systems especially those coming out of ancient kemet and we deal with offset and heru heru being born of a virgin birth december 25th to the virgin offset who the greeks call isis and how you have a copy of this african woman offset or isis in the dc comics tv show that used to come on saturday mornings i used to watch when i was a kid in 1970s the shazam uh you had the shazam and isis hour and they had the tv show the secrets of isis and they talk about how she gets they talk about how she gets her powers from ancient egypt and she has symbolism coming from ancient egypt right ancient kemet and you know growing up in the 70s i know they stole this from us we just saw this white woman who you know said was powerful things like this so we believed it but no they stole this from ancient africa and then from the uh story of offset and heru and asar the father and the concepts of the virgin birth the immaculate conception the adoration okay these these stories are ancient stories that go back to at least 3300 bc in ancient nubia and nubia is the mother to ancient kemet or ancient egypt you're going to have these stories told over and over and over again adapted to various people's cultures over thousands of years so from our set and heru you get the black madonna and child which was worshipped all throughout europe and they still have statues of the black madonna and child throughout europe today like in spain and poland things like this europeans were worshiping the black madonna and child it, it wasn't black because it was dirty because they didn't clean it it was black because they painted it black i mean it was black from the beginning and then from that you're going to get the decolorized version which is uh mary and joseph the decolorized version of the original okay this is where this comes from so to understand the transatlantic slave trade you have to understand a chronology of history we deal with some of the origins of racism dr francis Kurtz wilson nearly fuller correctly taught us if you do not understand european white supremacy and racism what it is and how it works everything else and i do mean everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you if you do not understand european white supremacy and racism what it is and how it works everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you now what's very interesting and I warned people about Donald Trump for months before the November 8th election. You can go back and listen to the archives on my shows. I have almost 800 podcasted episodes, audio uh, podcasts on my shows. Go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can listen to the podcast there. Okay. Um, what was interesting is I warned people for months about Donald Trump. And what Donald Trump did was he tapped into the fears and the, and the white supremacy of a lot of white people across this country, especially a lot of poor whites, and manipulated that and got them to vote for him. And now they're getting screwed by him. They're getting screwed by his budget. He's trying to take away health care from them. A lot of them, a lot of these, a lot of these white people didn't know that Obamacare and the Affordable Health Care Act were the same thing. When they found out, you start, they started having all these protests saying, "Don't take away my health care." See, as long as as long as Obama's name was on it and they hated Obama because he's of African descent, they were cool. But when they found out they had it and they liked it, and it was called the Affordable Health Care Act, they said, oh, no, 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 don't 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 take that away. We want that. If you look at the. The first Friday of each month, 
the unemployment figures come out, right? So 209,000 jobs created. Under President Obama, you had 82 straight months of private sector job growth. Trump gives absolutely no credit to President Obama for that. When Trump took the oath of office January 20th, 2009, the unemployment rate was 4.5%. Prior to that, he kept saying, oh, this unemployment rate is fake. It's a fake unemployment rate. Oh, I've seen numbers of 42%. Oh, it's a fake unemployment rate. Oh, you have 92 million people unemployed. Then when it came, when the unemployment rate came out in February, he tried to claim that. And they said, wait a second, hold on. You just took the oath of office like three weeks ago, two, two and a half weeks ago. How, how, you, how do you claim this? When it when the unemployment numbers came out under his tenure, now all of a sudden they're legitimate. When it was under President Obama, they were fake. Wait a second. It's the same Bureau of Labor Statistics that calculates the unemployment rate. They use the same methodology to, to calculate it. Now, look at look at what's happened. So today the numbers come out. And the unemployment rate is 4.3%. And it was 4.3% like a couple months ago. It went up to 4.4%. It was down to 4.3%. When it was at 4.3% a couple months ago, Sean Spicer, who used to be the White House press secretary, said this is the lowest unemployment rate in 17 years. Well, wait a second. When Trump took the oath of office, it was 4.5%. So if you claim victory at 4.3%, how is it you don't give any credit to the black man who did the heavy lifting to get it down to 4.5% so you can claim victory for it dropping two-tenths of a percentage point? That's white supremacy. See, that's why don't, don't, don't want to give any credit to President Obama whatsoever. 82 consecutive months of private sector job growth. Don't want to give any credit. So then he talks about, oh, well, you know, uh, he, he talked about uh, the economy grew 2.6% in the first quarter of this year or the second sec for either first or second quarter of this year, right? Well, under President Obama, you have 14 months where it grew 2.6% or higher. And you had three, you had eight months where it grew 3% grew or higher. So it's easy. You can do things to increase the the uh, growth of the economy for a quarter. It's harder to do that for a year. So but because of white supremacy, you get these idiots who just follow him and believe whatever he says. And they're getting screwed by him and they're, and they're going to get screwed royally by him. And when he in person, I think he's going to be forced to uh, resign from office because this is going to be worse than Watergate. This thing is heating up. He's not going to stop it. And I hope he fires Mueller because that's going to be his ass. If he fires Mueller, because you have you have Republicans telling him hands off Mueller. You can't fire him. So I think he's stupid enough to do that. If he fires Mueller, it's, it's, it's over for him. OK. All right. So you see, I follow politics also. I do. I, I, I did national radio up until April of this year, uh, five days a week. And I still do radio. I do uh, radio here in Detroit, 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, The Voice of Detroit on Thursdays and Sundays. I did it yesterday morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the morning show here in Detroit. Wake up with Steve Hood. OK. All right. So we're going to start the online class shortly here. Uh, Kim, Candace, how you all doing? We just posted a link again. You can register for the online course because we're about to start it up. Um, 
ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. So we deal with this type of information and a lot more in the class. Uh, we do with the origins of the word America, the origins of the word Africa, the problem with slave movies. We deal with uh, Christopher Columbus a lot because you have to I deal with the chronology of history. Right. And to understand the existence of something, you first have to understand the preexistence of existence. And um, Christopher Columbus is extremely important to understanding the transatlantic slave trade because um, Columbus on his four voyages, um, the uncovering of the so-called new world is going to open up the new world to other European nations coming in and fighting over these riches and fighting over this land. OK, because they're trying to set up slave plantations, things like this. And one of the things they want to do is grow uh, cotton. One of the things they want to do is grow cotton. OK. And just give me a minute. Let me get post a message here to the class. All right. Hold on. Why is this? OK, so one of the things they want to do was grow cotton as well. OK, I mean, sorry, sugar. Sugar was first. Sugar was king before cotton was king. The reason why is because a lot of Moors. I mean, because uh, more is going to introduce um, sugar to Europeans uh, and a lot of uh, Europeans got hooked on sugar. OK, so you're going to um, uh, have sugarcane plantations that are set up. You're going to have sugarcane plantations that are that are going to be set up uh, in Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, things like this. And to this day. um one of the leading exports within the like top three exports out of Cuba is uh, sugar. Okay. To this day, which goes back this Cuba uh, was uh, uncovered by Columbus in, I think it was 1492. I think it was in his first voyage. Um, uncovered by Columbus in 1492. Okay. All right. So let's do this here. So we have to deal with Columbus. And one of the things we have to understand about Columbus is Columbus never came to the land we call the United States of America. Columbus never came to the land we call the United States of America. OK. Um, the sugar came from India and was told and impacted in the Caribbean. Well, the Moors are going to introduce sugar into Europe. The Moors are going to introduce sugar into Europe. Uh, and one of the one of the things that Columbus is looking for, because he he he's trying to prove that you can sell west and end up going east. OK, one of the things he's looking for in, a, in, a, in addition to riches and in gold and silver, things like this and other spices, he's trying to find another source of sugar. So but but you but to grow sugar, you need uh, a warmer climate. OK, to grow sugar, a, a, a warmer climate than you have in Europe. So they have this warmer climate in Jamaica, Haiti, Cuba, places like this. So they're going to set up sugarcane plantations. OK. And the sugarcane plantations are brutal. You need they're going to have sugarcane plantations with a thousand fifteen hundred enslaved Africans on them. All right. They're going to have other plantations also. But sugar was king before cotton became king. OK. All right. 
so we have the information here we'll post a link again you can register for this online course i got to get out of here and uh, get ready to teach it okay ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school it's a 12-hour six-week online course all the sessions are recorded okay we do the sessions live normally friday 7 p.m to 9 p.m eastern standard time running a little bit late this evening um if you miss anything you can go back and watch it over and over again and we also have about 12 hours of bonus content also okay the course is only 40 dollars um so that helps support the african history network because all this stuff is a lot of work and uh that helps pay for the online school because that's not cheap either but um you can register for it and i will see you in class okay uh share this broadcast on your own facebook page invite your friends to tune in also remember at the african history network we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of african descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it corrects wrong behavior what you do for yourself what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself what you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself what you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read heard and seen about yourself okay um also at our website africanhistorynetwork.com you see i'm wearing the black friday shirt the film black friday what legacy will you leave i'm in that film so we have the black friday documentaries at our website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com and you got people like dr claude anderson dr umar johnson professor kaba hiawatha kamenei booker t coleman tony browder uh they're in here dr boyce watkins chuck d from public enemy um a lot of people in in the films and they deal with uh strategies to recycle our 1.3 trillion dollar economy as well as um strategies to pass on um uh, intergenerational wealth to our children also okay and then we have um the documentaries elementary genocide one and two from director raheem shabazz elementary genocide one and two from director raheem shabazz and these deal with the school to prison pipeline educating african-american children things like that you have hip-hop artist killer mike dr boyce watkins dr umar johnson um uh, just a few of the people in here is dr steve perry um zaza ali she's in uh elementary genocide part two just a few of the things we have at our website africanhistorynetwork.com if you like my information all 35 of my dvd presentations are there as well at our website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com okay all right um i gotta get out of here guys oh yeah these documentaries i get these from the directors i know the directors i'm in some of these movies i'm in elementary genocide part three which comes out august 22nd 2017 from director raheem shabazz uh the new black friday movie comes out october 13th i'm in that one we filmed that one about three weekends ago in atlanta at the top of stone mountain um in in atlanta okay i gotta get out of here get ready to teach this course you can register for the course see you all there remember right knowledge corrects wrong behavior it's not over till we win we'll talk to you next time peace